It's possible I will never be aroused again. Menacingly yet handsomely, the Jackson Whitmore story. <laughs> Peter, you dramatic bitch. And I look back at him and he said, I scared the shit out of him. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> hey guys, when in doubt, close up of Derek's face. Can't go wrong. I approve this message. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Clissa Mollis, and I'm joined by Kate Colvin and Will Wallace. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season two, episode nine, Party Guest. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, alpha and beta. The beta section is for first timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. This week's new alpha patron highlight goes to Angie. Thanks for supporting the show. This week's episode is titled Party Guest. It was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Tim Andrew. In it, Lydia is tormented by hallucinations of Peter, who threatens Carnage if she doesn't comply with his plan for her birthday bash, which happens to coincide this year with the worm moon, a perfect time for rebirth. Chris is also pushed to comply with an upcoming plan. In his case, Victoria's plan to commit suicide to avoid becoming a werewolf, a plan that Gerard wholeheartedly supports. No surprise there. With no plan for dealing with the canima, Derek focuses on helping his betas through the full moon. Though Boyd and Erica struggle with control, Isaac finds his anchor in a surprising place. Styles and his father make a breakthrough in the murder case, which ultimately helps Styles and Scott draw some conclusions about Matt. During Lydia's party, Jackson, Scott, Styles, and Allison all have frightening hallucinations from the Wolfsbane punch. Lydia brings Derek into the getting drugged by Wolfsbane fun so Peter can use him to come back to life. And with violence on all sides, it seems the worst is yet to come. This week, our favorite quote is a conversation between Derek and his betas. Derek says, there's a price you pay for this kind of power. You get the ability to heal, but tonight you're going to want to kill anything you can find. And Erica says, good thing I had my period last week then. We've all been there. Yep. Felt. And our honorable mention is between Danielle, a classmate of our main characters, and Scott. Danielle says, you want to sober him up fast? That's not the way to do it. Scott says, you can do better? Danielle says, I could do best, boy. It's hard to do it justice because it's so funny on screen, but it is. don't worry, Wolfies. We'll get to that bit. It was funny. Did she win a contest? I feel is like that, so. is I that think right? that was the first walk on roll. Is that the first one? Okay. I think so. I can't say with 100% confidence. Okay. It doesn't matter. Either way, the scene is hilarious because I love that she's just like, no, I know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so, it's it's so funny. I love it. Her delivery is spot on. Oh, spot on. That's correct. Chantal Rhodes That's right. was, yes, in season two episode party guest, this one, because of a MTV contest. That is awesome. And she also appeared in Chaos Rising and Alpha Pack. Nice. 
Very nice. This week's episode begins with Lydia in the shower, where she has another terrifying hallucination. How many episodes feature Lydia in the shower? Can someone tell me that? But not like in a gross way where you have like a counter going on. (laughs) (laughs) She has great cleanliness habits. Okay. And how many episodes do I get of Styles in the shower? Zero. Yeah. That's what I thought, because the world is an unfair place. If they did have that scene, it would just be like a silhouette behind the shower curtain where he's talking to somebody. Absolutely. It would just be like ridiculous soap ball on his hair. <laughs> and then like after uh, the second season, he's got like his hair in like a little mohawk. Aww. I'd be totally into that, but still. It would look like the scene from Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. you're like this makes no sense but it's hilarious lydia hallucinates that she's on the lacrosse field in her winter formal dress after hearing barbara talk about this dress and her disdain for it i'm thinking (laughs) that they must have loved having it in so many flashbacks yeah throughout the series because this is not the only one spoilers for that. she she was right about the jewel tones thing when you're fair skin you got to go for those jewel tones you cannot go for those pastels it just doesn't work take it from someone who knows clothes <laughs> will knows that stuff nailed it so everyone in the stands is cheering for lydia except for one laura hale who looks upset and fearful that's one way of putting it that's an interesting detail though having laura there yeah. Yeah. And Lydia wouldn't know what Laura looked like, I don't think. So either Peter added that detail intentionally in crafting the hallucination, or Laura is haunting the hallucination, which I kind of like that idea that her ghost has a connection with Peter because they're pack. It plays into my elaborate headcanon about werewolf religious beliefs that when a pack mate dies, they become part of the moon, you know? part of the pull that they all feel and death doesn't break that connection to quote evie carnahan's english translation death is only the beginning it's the mummy oh yeah (laughs) that's awesome and then in the hallucination peter saunters onto the field in his season one leather duster look it's spike from buffy oh wait no that's just peter hale doing a great impersonation all he needs is a bottle of bleach and a cheekbone sharpener and he's nailed it peter brutally attacks lydia who screams and claws at the ground desperate to get away. The way it was filmed this time around, it feels very sexual to me. It, it looks like sexual violence. They even have him biting at her neck, even though there were never any injuries to her neck that we saw in season one. And maybe it's meant to represent the metaphorical violation of her mind, but regardless, I wish they hadn't done it that way. Me too. I agree that it's definitely filmed in a way that I'm used to seeing with like sexual violence on TV shows and it is upsetting, but everything that happens to Lydia this season is upsetting. So while, yeah, I don't like seeing it, I can kind of see where they're coming from with it. You do think it's kind of to connect to the metaphorical violation that she's going through in this season. Yes. Then Lydia wakes up in her bed, loose earth covering her sheets. I thought this was blood at first. Some of us are just used to waking up covered in blood. She's been midnight gardening, guys. Yeah, well, I've been there too. (laughs) (laughs) Just when Lydia thinks the ordeal is over, she hallucinates Peter in her bed. Okay, Peter, why are you in a teen girl's bed? Also her mind, but mostly her bed. Because it's spooky. Okay. (laughs) Can you have a restraining order against a ghost? (laughs) because she needs one yeah i feel like she can consult another lydia lydia deets to find out more about that hey Hey, nice nice one nice good job Ooh, i would totally read a beetlejuice au 
but Beetlejuice is Peter Hale and Lydia's Lydia. Okay, but where's Derek fit in? Are they the dead couple? I was gonna, oh, I was going to say that, that Beetlejuice is with Derek and Styles, and Styles loves it, and Derek just wants to blow his brains out the entire time. <laughs> yes, they'd be the dead couple. Calissa, okay. thank you for asking. Peter says he can't leave Lydia alone just yet. He won't leave until she does everything he asks, and everything has to happen before the next full moon. It's the March full moon, a time for rebirth known as the worm moon. Yeah, that's not a sexy name. <laughs> it doesn't have to be sexy for Peter to like it, just dramatique. You know, wolf moon sounds very cool and everything, and I just feel like, yeah, worm moon, it's like, ugh. Yeah. The name comes from the fact that it's the last full moon of winter when the worms crawl out of the earth as it thaws. The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinnacle on your snout. I don't know if it's the worms, but Peter's looking rough here. Gotta exfoliate more, bro. (laughs) You guys know that sometimes his hallucination persona has hair and sometimes it doesn't. It varies. Yeah, he, he's got a few a few looks that he, that he rotates. I think that's kind of fun. <laughs> it reminds me of like if you're watching a Friday the 13th film and you're getting like Jason flashbacks, like sometimes he's super deformed, sometimes he's not. It like, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. This year, the worm moon falls on Lydia's birthday, which also happens to be the event of the year at Beacon Hills High School. That's why she has so many of them on the show. <laughs> I'm just excited at the revelation that she's a March baby like me. For now. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What our timeline? Peter shows Lydia a vision of the party to come. He makes her see the future partygoers lying dead, blood splattered everywhere to drive home his point that she has to comply so no one will get hurt. As he says this, the partygoers and the hallucination all appear to stare at Lydia, silently reproaching her for theoretically resisting Peter and getting them killed. This bit is great. It is. It's simple, but chilling. Peter says it had to be Lydia because she's not only beautiful and smart, she's also immune. So I guess it's at least implied that Lydia had to be immune for Peter's plan B to work. He couldn't have done this with just anyone, or should I say to just anyone? Right. Also don't call the teen girl beautiful, Peter Hale. Do you think his plan B also cost $50? (laughs) (laughs) Well done. That's pretty good, yeah. This confuses Lydia, reminding Peter that Lydia doesn't know everything that's going on because her friends have kept her in the dark. He decides to show her, so he appears in his wolf form with glowing eyes. It looks awesome, just a silhouette out the window with the red eyes. The hallucination creature then bursts through the window to attack her as we cut to the opening sequence. We did not need to see it closer up. Yeah, it was cool when it was just the silhouette, but it goes on to show too much. It was enough to get just the suggestion of a werewolf. Keep that mystique. Yeah. I agree. Speaking of showers, as we were with the opening scene, why is Scott in the shower at the start of the theme sequence? More importantly, why is Styles not in the shower? Or Derek? <laughs> or Derek and Styles in the shower together? Oh. Uh, how many Derek showers do we get? I mean, we don't get a lot of Derek showers, but we do get a lot of Derek mostly naked. Okay, but people are better wet. Everyone knows that. Well, he's always wet with blood not the same you know that and i'm not into that i prefer when most of the blood's outside the body but not like covering them (laughs) in the first scene following the opening credits chris desperately insists that the bite on victoria's shoulder isn't that deep tis a flesh wound gerard counters that they all have a role to play but chris can't expect gerard to play poisoned king to chris's hamlet of a son bitch is way into shakespeare isn't he i've read hamlet and i'm still not sure i understand that i haven't read hamlet since college i don't remember much Does he just mean because King Hamlet was murdered? I guess, since Hamlet's dad was 
killed? So is he saying he won't allow Victoria to live because she could wolf out and kill him? I don't know. Well, I don't think it's a very elegant literary parallel. Who let him be a molder of young minds? At the old railway depot, Derek and Scott struggle to come up with a new plan to deal with the Canama. Derek says he's seen a lot of things, but nothing like this. Ah, yes, the old railway depot, home to Derek and the boxcar children. (laughs) I'd read that book series. Have you seen a lot of things, Derek? What else have you seen? I would love to know. He'd probably tell Scott the truth if Scott asked that question, because he doesn't really lie to Scott. I mean, he's abrasive and withholds information and is stubborn and difficult, but he's not a liar. Yeah, Scott just sucks at asking questions. Styles would have asked. He would have yes. been there like all night being like, okay, what else do you know? Do you know about Bigfoot? Are there aliens? What else have you seen? No, shut up is how that would go. <laughs> have you seen the 90s film Hackers? <laughs> I don't know everything you've ever seen, Derek. Have you ever seen a real roof pool or did someone just tell you there was one up there? <laughs> Obscure hacker's joke. Scott suggests that maybe they should stay out of it and let the Argents handle the Canama instead. But Derek says that's his fault because he bit Jackson. Scott disagrees, reminding him that Jackson's past is what turned him into the Canama. This is the least Scott-Derek conversation ever. Right? Scott loves to blame Derek for everything. I know, it's very strange. And this is actually a little bit Derek's fault. It is a little bit Derek's <laughs> fault, yeah. How is he not jumping at it? That's like... low-hanging fruit, my dude. Yeah. Because he did bite Jackson, you know? So it's it's at least partially his fault. Like right. We've already talked about this, but Derek, he knew what was going to happen. Like, Come on. But the conversation falls into familiar patterns when Derek says they don't know for sure that Jackson's past is what turned him into the Canama because that was just a story in a book. Scott accuses Derek of keeping something from him. Derek says he has only ever kept things from Scott when he was trying to protect him. Scott says that being a pack should mean no more secrets. <laughs> Exhausted from dealing with Scott, Derek suggests that Scott go home, sleep, heal, and look after his friends. You love going home and sleeping, Scott. We all know this. <laughs> His favorite pastime, other than hooking up with Alice. Yep. Derek believes this full moon is going to be especially rough. I love that shot as he says that. That's a good one. Because it's a close-up of his face. Hey guys, when in doubt, close-up of Derek's face. Can't go wrong. I approve this message. As Allison drops Matt off at his house, Matt brings up that incredibly bad idea he had. The kiss. Allison guesses? (laughs) No, let's rewind back to when I asked you out. That bad idea. I feel like he's just thinking... So should I lean in for another kiss now, or? (laughs) Allison tells Matt not to worry about the terrible kiss. Matt then asks what the deal is with her and Scott. She says that it's complicated. That's our Facebook status right there. I feel like she's telling him. Like, that's (laughs) that's how we're labeled on Facebook. You should check it out. Complicated. Matt tries a friendly hand touch, but it doesn't work out so well. Allison's like, (laughs) don't touch me. Didn't you see my I don't care romper? Exactly. I've been wearing it all night. As Matt finally gets the message, kind of, he gets out of the car, leaving his bag behind. Allison blows steam on her car window to see if Scott left her a message while they were at the rave, but she finds nothing. I know he felt awkward, but I think it's weird he left the bag behind. Yeah. It's an important thing to him. And he left his camera turned on to incriminating evidence. Yeah. Well, technically he had it on the like lacrosse photos. She has to go through a little bit. But she only goes through like three pictures. Like it's it's in the, it's definitely the same like photo set, so to speak. You got to be careful though. If you're going to go through someone's photos, you got to be prepared to see something bad. Like I hand you like my phone to look at a photo. You shouldn't like start swiping. You don't know what you're going to see. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to catch a dick pic. However, moving on. 
Allison picks up his camera and scrolls through the photos, stumbling upon some of his stalker pics of her. Lock your doors and drive away immediately. Some of those, it looks like he's standing right next to her. Like, how did he manage that? How did she not see him doing it? Zoom lens? Okay, maybe I'll give you that for like the ones outside of her house, but those school halls aren't that big. True. Like, it looks like he's just standing on like the other like side of the hallway. Right. But I'd be much more worried about the ones that look like they're taken right through her bedroom window, which was on the second floor. Those are the restraining order images. I'm sorry, we call that exhibit B. Matt startles Allison when he comes back for his things and she's still holding his camera. Hey, stalker. He mouths for Allison to roll down the window. Or don't. I mean, just a crack would be enough. But she rolls down the window. Matt nervously says he forgot his bag. And your evidence. I mean, your stuff. I'm going to show your awesome pictures to my friend's dad. He'll love them. He's in law enforcement, but that's unrelated. Allison covers by saying that she saw some of his lacrosse pictures on the camera and was impressed. God, you think she'd be a better liar by now? I mean, she knows about supernatural things that she can't tell anyone. Her family has a secret history and she's been having a secret relationship for some time now, but she is not good at lying. Still. No, she's not. Yeah, you have to wonder if she's ever going to get better at this. Yeah. Only time will tell. They definitely should have started training her to be an Argent like way earlier than this. It is surprising they waited as long as they did. I feel like, you know, especially with like Victoria. Yeah. Could just imagine like Allison like stealing all the cookies and then like confessing and Victoria's like, no, you should have said like someone broke in, ate all the cookies and left. We're going to start working on your lying right now. You never just confess. On the other hand, Victoria might just get really mad because baby Allison has like purple icing on her face and she's like, oh, that strain was really expensive. I mean, whatever. I said you couldn't have any before dinner. And now mommy is going to have to make more special cookies for when new hunters come over for dinner. Matt tries to convince Allison to come inside to look at some of his candidates of her more closely on his computer. Whose alarm bells wouldn't be going off at this point? What is his plan? Lure her inside and murder her? Like he's a high school student. His parents are probably home right? They're inside laying down the plastic. (laughs) (laughs) Mom, dad, this is my victim from school. I mean, a friend. (laughs) They'd probably be glad to see him making friends or victims. (laughs) Allison says it's getting late, but Matt reminds her that it's the weekend. It's spring break and she doesn't have plans tomorrow. How the hell do you know that, Matt? He also took pictures of her date book. Because teenagers are known for keeping date books. (laughs) It's in her Blackberry. Allison makes a quick getaway. He went serial killer very quickly. Yeah, he was like, well, I'm caught. There's no more need for pretense. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Back at the railway depot, Derek and the Betas prepare for the upcoming full moon. Derek gets out a trunk full of chains and what look like medieval torture devices meant to restrain werewolves who can't control their murderous impulses during the full moon. The trunk is marked with the same symbol Derek has tattooed on his back, which Isaac asks about. Boyd answers instead, saying it's a Triskelet. The three spirals can mean different things, past, present, future, mother, father, child, or in Derek's case, alpha, beta, omega. That trunk is very kinky. Also, that's a good tank top that Derek is wearing. But Boyd. Finally, Boyd. You're my favorite, Boyd, is what Derek is thinking. You're the smart one. Did you guys see Erica's face during this exchange? She's a secret sapiosexual and Boyd is killing it. Boyd is the best of the betas. Everyone knows this. Isaac asks if Derek is referring to Scott as an Omega. Keep it in your pants, Isaac. Nice. Derek informs him that, in fact, Scott isn't an Omega. He's in their pack. He's just out looking for Jackson. Meanwhile, Lydia brings a shopping bag of brand new clothes over to Allison's to get ready for her birthday party. And now we're in a Macy's ad. 
everyone knows a good party is not complete without at least three costume changes. Absolutely. Allison says that she thought things might be different this year with certain things and certain people being a little off right now. She specifically mentions Jackson, asking if Lydia thinks he'll come to the party, but still not providing Lydia with any context. You're a shitty friend, Allison. Yeah. Yeah. Scott transferred his shittiness to her through sex, just the way Lydia transferred her immunity to Jackson through sex, because that's how things work. Congrats, Mr. Harris. You certainly taught them science. (laughs) I like how they even say what brand the clothes are. I do like American Rag, so. It's a good brand. I'm just saying. It's It's funny. funny. Victoria approaches them and asks Allison if they could talk alone, but Allison, preoccupied, brushes her off. Looking a little clammy there, Victoria. In Allison's defense, you are usually a raging bitch who's threatening her boyfriend's life, Victoria. Yeah, I don't actually blame Allison for this one. No, not at all. All she knows is that her mom is probably just going to be awful to her. At the Stalinsky house, Papa Stalinsky catches Stiles going through the 2006 yearbook, still looking for clues about the murders. He informs Stiles that the police brought Harris in for questioning while they work on a warrant for the murders. Tire tracks from Harris's car were identified outside the trailer where the Canima snatched Sean in front of his pregnant wife, Jessica. The car was also spotted outside the hospital where Jessica was killed. Stiles grudgingly admits he also saw the car outside the rave where Kara was killed, which Stalinsky points out, accurately, makes Stiles a witness who needs to go give a statement. But Stiles argues that Kara wasn't in Harris's class, and none of this explains Mr. Leahy's murder. But we all know that Harris has an alibi for Kara's murder. He was there hooking up with a 21-year-old. Yeah. Mm. Worst alibi. Delinsky doesn't understand why Styles is defending Harris so strongly. He thought Styles hated the guy. Styles says that's not the case, that Harris hates Styles, not the other way around. I feel like Styles' stance is, I'm indifferent. This scene is important, yet all I was thinking about was rubbing Styles' shaved head. I don't know. He just looked adorable. Uh, he's always adorable, so. Accurate. Yeah. In the yearbook, Stolinski notices that all the victims were included in the swim team photo, including Mr. Leahy, who was the coach. Nice one, Stolinski. You've got good eyes. <laughs> well, I mean, it helps whenever you just can pick out a really poorly photoshopped image. It's definitely always a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Leahy looks like a cold mother. Even in a yearbook picture. Yeah, it looks like he could have just been arrested for like a triple homicide. <laughs> yep, that is triple homicide face that he is serving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At school, Lydia tries to convince Jackson to come to her party, but he insists she doesn't want him there. He scares Lydia by grabbing her. I love Lydia's skirt here. They modified it by like hemming it a couple of inches though. So if I bought it, I'd actually have to do some sewing stuff myself and I cannot do the thing. Jackson seems very shuddery in this scene. Pre-full moon shivers? I think maybe he was in a kind of trance before she brought him out. He seemed really weird when she first approached him. Yeah, that does make sense. Styles arrives at Lydia's party with a birthday present so huge he can't fit it through her front door. A lot of good Jim Carrey energy in this moment. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I'm watching Ace Ventura. Yes. I really want to know though, what's in the box? What's in the box? It's a whole bunch of puppies. <laughs> You know, nothing seems especially exciting about this party before, you know, everyone gets drugged. There's a punch fountain with purple flowers floating around in it. But it's not a chocolate fountain, so why would I care? Exactly. 
Solid point. So I have to just say, like reading this line of description, Styles arrives at Lydia's party with a birthday present so huge he can't fit it through her front door. Oh just seems God! Like a You're... weird, like sexual <laughs> euphemism there. Like I come definitely on. did not think that until you started saying it, and then I, yeah. Oh my God, Kate! His birthday present was so big I could not even fit it through my front door. Oh. <laughs> It's possible I will never be aroused again. <laughs> You're welcome. Just go back to that, like, you know, tank top scene with Derek Hale. Yeah, just think about better times. <laughs> I might do it. With no sign of Jackson yet, Scott and Styles discuss the swim team revelation and the Canamosphere of water. Styles speculates that the Canamaster hated the 2006 swim team, maybe a teacher or a student from the time. Allison joins them, and the conversation turns to the dearth of attendees at the party so far. Scott thinks it's because Lydia's the town whack job now. F*** you guys. Also, weren't there people passing Allison as she was coming in? What happened to them? They were, like, yelling and, like... Woo-wooing or something. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, it was like three people walked right by her. Are they just upstairs poking around? Poking each other. Oh. Stealing their finery. That's what teenagers do at parties, I think. I never went to any. (laughs) Me either. I don't know. Allison says that Lydia's really only a, quote, whack job because of them. Yes, well said. So since everyone's going on about how crazy Lydia is... It's safe to assume that Allison hasn't said anything about Lydia conspicuously saying she needs to talk to Allison about something, right? Because that might have suggested that there's more going on with her than necessarily the ongoing PTSD from the attack. Uh, Yeah, that's because Allison doesn't remember. When Lydia wanted to talk, she was just like, is that all about you, Lydia? Other shit is going down. So she doesn't even really remember that, I'm sure. And then Lydia probably didn't bring it up again because her friend was supremely shitty about it. It'd be like, why keep bringing it up when she's just going to react the same way? Yeah. Yeah. It's very upsetting. Yeah. Lydia been done wrong this season. Yep. She should totally get back that other half of the best friend's heart. Uh, yes. Yes. Though Scott insists they don't owe her a party, Allison reminds him that they've basically ignored Lydia for weeks. Scott retorts that she ignored Styles for years. What is this, Xanderism by proxy? You are completely wrong, Scott. Shut your f***ing mouth. (laughs) Yeah, I really, really dislike this, but it is like the full moon, and we know how douchey Scott gets on the full moon. That's true. It is kind of interesting how the other betas get like murder, 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 and Scott just like becomes the class bitch. (laughs) Who's like, just like sort of douchey to everyone. I mean, it. It's good. That's that how he's pure not at- his heart is. That is that he just becomes an asshole instead yeah. of a murderous asshole. Except for if he thinks Allison's making out with someone else. It yeah. feels like Styles might prefer Scott just being murderous. That that might actually be easier for him to handle than you know. Yeah. Scott running around lying to him about people he has a crush on, also liking him back and kissing those people and that sort of shit. Yeah, you know Styles still has that doggy bowl in case shit goes sideways again. Oh yeah, yeah he does. Alice convinces Scott to help bring more people to the party so that Lydia can have a fun night. Styles also decides to invite some people, his new drag queen friends from the other night. Here to turn shit up! <laughs> I like how at the club, Styles got all of their phone numbers. They adopted him as a baby gay. Well, baby bye, but you know. I love Lydia's face here where she just like, narrows her eyes like gives it like a quick like assessment of the situation and then she's just like well come on in yeah i approve 
<laughs> At the railway depot, Isaac asks why Erica gets to wear the super special torture crown. Derek says it's because she can handle more pain than Isaac and Boyd can. Duh. Where did he get this stuff? Uh, Jigsaw was having a garage sale. Is this what Derek's alpha did? I find that really hard to believe. It just doesn't feel like the Hales would have had this stuff. Well, maybe it's like that bit in On Fire that I think you referenced it, Calissa, when we talked about that, where it says that werewolves' full moon aggression was always worst during the teenage years, and they had to control it at all costs because if they challenged the alpha, they had to fight for the crown, so to speak. Yeah. Or their provisions from ye olden werewolf dark ages just blood-stained family heirlooms and Derek doesn't know what else to do. I guess. Meanwhile, Styles suggests that Scott apologize to Allison. Scott doesn't think he did anything wrong, but Styles says that when a guy doesn't think he did anything wrong, it's usually because he did. In fact, do something wrong. He's totally right there. And Scott did snap at her unnecessarily at the rave. He was the one who encouraged her to go on a date with Matt, and it's not like he told her his plan. She was even like, Scott, just tell me what to do to fix this, and he got shitty with her. So shitty. In true Scott fashion. <laughs> Styles encourages Scott to patch things up so that at least something can go right. People are dying. He got his dad fired. Scott's about to get held back in school. And Styles is in love with a nut job. Styles, don't be a twat. Not the best to be a moment. Scott gets distracted by seeing Jackson arrive at the party. I am digging that shirt of his. Yeah, you like a lot of Jackson's clothes. He has good clothes. I'm always a fan of a plaid button-up while drinking punch menacingly yet handsomely. Menacingly yet handsomely. The Jackson Whitmore story. <laughs> Soon to be a Lifetime movie. <laughs> I'd watch that. As the moon drives him nearly to lunacy, Isaac asks how Derek keeps control. Derek says he needs to find an anchor, something meaningful to keep the human side in control. Styles! I love that Styles is the one who came up with that terminology and now Derek is using it. It's another example of stuff that's like, did y'all talk about this in between episodes? Are you guys just texting each other your, your thoughts? He needs to text Derek a proper like wrist restraint pr protocol because those cuffs are barely on Isaac's wrist. He could just slip right out of them. Derek's working on it, okay? Work faster, buddy. I hope that Styles does text Derek about proper wrist binding procedure. Yeah, that'd be hot. <laughs> Isaac asks what Derek's anchor is. Derek says that it's anger. And totally not Styles. Man, Derek Hale's methods of self-control, pain and anger. Gotta get that boy to therapy. <sighs> Seriously, uh, stat. I'm pretty sure that when this episode aired, the MTV Instagram account did imply it might be Styles. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that because I don't Insta, I guess. You don't do the Insta? I don't. Their conversation is interrupted when Erica and Boyd's murder instincts kick in. I love the shot of them getting up in the back of the train car with their eyes glowing in the low light. It's a good one. So good. Back at the Argent house, Chris prepares a lethal pill cocktail for Victoria, who scoffs at the idea that she'd use prescription pills to commit suicide. Chris says that statistically, most women use that method, but she's not most women. Victoria pulls out a butcher knife instead. Victoria is just like, what do you take me for? You know how much I love this knife. Yeah, it's my favorite cutting knife. You also know how much she loves to talk about all the other girls, or in this case, women. She hates them. She's not them. Allison's not them. F other women. We hate our gender. Though I do have to say, I hope Chris didn't Google right before this, how do most women commit suicide? Because that's like 
number one way to go to jail. They, yeah. They feel like this looks That suspicious would look so bad. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, so I found it. It says, I feel like Derek's anchor is something deeper than anger, like his family or styles maybe. Ha ha. Oh, they just said it. <laughs> Call that queer baiting in the industry, folks. We do. While Victoria goes upstairs to write her suicide letter, Gerard reminds Chris not to hesitate for Allison's sake. Shut up, Gerard. <laughs> you know, when Gerard's on screen, that's when I feel most sympathetic toward Chris because that's when I remember that Chris was raised by that. Lydia offers Scott punch, but he declines. I really like Lydia's second party dress. Red hair looks so gorgeous against sapphire blue. Sorry, strawberry blonde hair, according to Styles. Just the contrast is so pretty. Lydia says she's not sure why Scott and Allison have to keep their relationship so secret, but now seems like a good time to let loose. Scott decides she's absolutely right and takes a cup of punch. He's so hard to convince of things. He just likes being told, really, this party, despite being for my birthday, isn't actually about me. It's about you and Allison. Scott's like, you're right. It is about me and Allison. Like everything. Also at the party, Matt approaches Allison. She gives him two minutes, which is more than I would give my stalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also they're in a room together, so they need to keep that door open. Door open, people. <laughs> Matt admits that he shouldn't have taken the photos of her, but is it really so bad that he thinks she's beautiful and should be photographed? Okay, seriously, bro? Her bedroom is on the second floor. Is it really so bad that I like hanging outside your window? You should take it as a compliment, bitch. <laughs> I learned how to climb trees for you, Allison. Well, he's barking up the wrong one. Oh, so. nice. Matt says photographers call these kinds of shots candids. Allison says that the police call them stalking. Matt <laughs> is affronted by the implication that his bedroom is wallpapered with photos of her or that he'd say something like, if I can't have you, then no one can. He tells Allison to get over herself because there are other pretty girls out there. Oh, there it is. Knew it was coming. I'm surprised he didn't follow it up with, I don't even think you're that hot anyway. All right, buddy, let's let let let's cut this scene. Just pull on that fedora, say milady, and call it a night. <laughs> <laughs> Will, have you been trying to date on OKCupid too? <laughs> <laughs> nice guys of OKC. As Allison goes to leave, Matt grabs her arm. She pulls a sweet self-defense move and puts him on his ass. Deserved. Matt demands, what is the matter with you? Seriously, what's the matter with you? Yeah, stop being a piece of shit. Because of people like you that many women have to take self-defense classes, so eat a dick. Finally free of Matt, Allison comes downstairs and sees a figure in a black hood holding a loaded crossbow. Assuming the figure is a hunter, she calls out for Scott, only to be shot in the stomach with an arrow. But then the figure is revealed to be Allison herself. I just have to say she looks great in that black hood. Yeah, I love the shot that reveals it's her. The duality of Allison. It's great. She's going to look even better one day in a blue one. Ooh. Stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. The dark version of Allison is disgusted by her, quote, yelling for help. Okay, but I didn't think she was yelling for help. I thought she was yelling to warn Scott. She definitely was. Yeah, absolutely. Just after the dark version goes in for the killing blow, she disappears. A mere hallucination. Shocked, Allison stumbles into the backyard. Where everybody's tripping balls. Yes, they are. Party finally got good. <laughs> <laughs> then Stalinsky shows up, drunk, 
dressed all in black for a funeral. He sees Styles and tells him that every day he saw Styles' mother lying in the hospital dying. He wondered how he was going to raise a hyperactive little bastard on his own. It was Styles, he says, who killed his mother, and now he was killing his father too. Solinsky throws a bottle of whiskey that shatters near Styles' face, but then the hallucination ends. But my heartbreak will last forever. Seriously. It's such a good scene. It's so, so good. But my soul is just, it hurts. The tears in uh, Styles' eyes, like Dylan O'Brien just killed it. Yeah, it's it's rough, but it's, this is a good, good scene. It's it's really good. We learned so much about Styles here. Yeah. At the Argent house, Chris and Victoria prepare for the end. Victoria decides on Allison's room because she didn't get a last conversation with Allison and wants to feel close to her. Oh my God, I forgot they did this in Allison's room. Yeah, it's pretty f***ed up. She's like, I want to be close to her and I want her to have lasting trauma forever. Ah, but Victoria is so pragmatic. I expected her just to do it on a giant piece of plastic in the garage. (laughs) She is pragmatic, but she's also petty. So it's kind of, it's hard to see how it's going to even out. I feel like, she wanted to feel close to her, but I also kind of wondered, sort of like what you were just saying, Calissa, did she want Allison to feel guilty for blowing her off? That's exactly what that is. I mean, oh, yeah, it's awful. Meanwhile, the hallucinogenic horrors at Shea Martin seem no less real. Scott's hallucination begins. Yeah, I didn't really need the visual cue to indicate the beginning of the hallucination. Agreed. Especially after doing it multiple times, it was like, I get it. I I know. We're going to see something weird and, and it's a hallucination. That's what's going yeah. on. We, we, we got it. We know how visual storytelling works. I got you. Definitely what you were laying down. <laughs> Scott has a vision of Allison and Jackson getting intimate. Jackson turns into the canima, but vision Allison is still into it. Is this really the thing you're most afraid of? You know it is. And it's so stupid. Come on, Scott. Don't you have trauma that you could be re-experiencing? I would have understood if it had at least been someone trying to kill Allison. I would have pitched it having to do with Scott's dad. Even Jackson sees something real and he's so shallow. The shallowest. (laughs) Poor Melissa, Styles, everyone else in Scott's life. Allison, really? There is no everyone else in Scott's life. It's even Allison, because like you said, it's like if you were afraid of her getting hurt, that'd be one thing. But it's like, no, the idea of you kissing Jackson, that's still it. Same as last season. Yeah. Speaking of which, Jackson thinks he sees his birth parents coming to talk to him, but when they turn towards him, their faces are completely smooth, featureless. They're no one, and Jackson is no one. The features disappear from his face, too, before the hallucination ends. I like this imagery, but quick question, why are they saying Whittemore here? It's the only time they pronounce his last name that way. Mm. I don't know. Things escalate at the railway depot as the betas shift fully. Boy, it's pointy little werewolf ears. I do think Boyd's transformation is the best looking one out of all of them. It is great. Derek tries to call Scott for help, but he doesn't get an answer. Derek, Scott's not good at answering his phone or calling people back. You should know this by now. Yeah. Erica pulls the metal device that was partially screwed into her skull right on out of her head. Damn, Erica. Isaac escapes the train by leaping through a window. Puppy, get back here. (laughs) Back at the party, a helpful classmate manages to sober Styles up right quick by dunking his head in the pool. This bit is great. I love it very much. It is. Shout out to Chantal Rhodes. We met her working one of the conventions. She was featured on Teen Wolf after winning the first walk-on role contest. That's awesome. With the night ramping up, Derek takes a beating at the hands of Erica and Boyd. You guys, I just got this shirt. (laughs) The only one he has that's not covered in blood. (sighs) 
Isaac returns and subdues Boyd. Erica manages to get up off the floor, but now that the playing field is more even, Derek knocks Erica out. I love the move that Erica does there. She like she gets up like hips first. Oh, it's great. It looks so good. And now Derek's like, Isaac, you're my new favorite beta. Oh, Boyd. <laughs> he just like rotates depending on like who's done the best thing. Everyone gets gold stars. As the full moon reaches its apex, Victoria goes over the final details with Chris. He and Allison have to tell people that Victoria had a history of depression. They'll have to handle people talking, saying Victoria was weak. No one that ever met Victoria would think that she was weak. Right? No one would ever say that about you. No one who so much has looked into your eyes. Chris promises to make sure Allison never believes those things, that she will know it was the hardest thing Victoria ever did, and she did it for her family. Victoria asks for his help, saying that she can't do it herself. Victoria, I just imagine thinking, I just think I'm too awesome. Also, there's a really solid bone here. Yeah, right through that sternum. When Victoria's eyes turn faded gold under the moonlight, Chris helps her plunge the knife in. But getting stabbed by itself isn't enough to kill a werewolf. And by her eyes, we see that she has become a werewolf. I guess what we don't see is Gerard waiting just outside with his broadsword to cut her in half. Okay, but if I was already worried that Googling best ways for women to commit suicide (laughs) was going to be a problem, I think her showing up like to the morgue cut in half is definitely going to raise some questions about being a suicide, even with the worst police department. (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah, not wrong. (laughs) But, But maybe... They put Wolf's Bane on the knife. That would make sense. That's true because if, you know, if she comes into the morgue with a stab wound, they're not going to run a thorough talk screen that would include aconite poisoning. Even with the moon at its height, Isaac remains totally calm. It's pretty awesome. Good for him. Derek asked what his anchor is, and Isaac says his father. Derek can hardly believe it since Isaac's dad used to lock him in a freezer in the basement to punish him. Isaac says that he didn't used to. I love this conversation. I feel like we learned so much about Isaac in such a short time. You know, people's feelings toward their abusers can be complicated. And even though Mr. Leahy was very much a villain, there can still be nuance in how they portray Isaac's perspective. With things finally calmed down, Derek steps out of the train car to catch his breath. Just then, Lydia appears. She blows a purple powder into his face that knocks him out. Know you from lurking outside the high school. (laughs) (laughs) Is this his first actual interaction with Lydia? Yeah, I think it is. I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. He thought the cannibal was Lydia and he saw her come out of the house and she was like, what the hell's going on? And of course, no one answered her and they all walked away. So I don't think he's (laughs) ever actually like engaged with her. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Allison joins her father at the hospital morgue where her mother lies dead. In desperate denial, she tells Chris that if this is some sort of sick training maneuver, he'd better tell her now. And I do understand why she would think that. Mm -hmm. I mean, what? It was just last episode that he had just taken her to the morgue. Yeah. To prove a point. Yeah. Yes. But Allison soon realizes that this is really happening and she breaks down in Chris's arms. Crystal absolutely nailed it in this scene. Oh yeah. Oh, it is yeah. gut-wrenching. Yeah. The Lydia and Allison have already left. Many of the other party goers are still at the Martin house. Some of them throw Matt into the pool, causing him to scream that he can't swim. But he could just stand up. It's not that deep. Scott and Styles stare as the situation unfolds. Try to be f- helpful, Scott. Yeah, jump in, buddy. 
don't have to have werewolf powers to help someone out of a six-foot pool. Yeah, you can just have regular human powers. It happens all the time. <laughs> Jackson is the one who finally pulls Matt out. Jackson's like, yeah, I'm a piece of shit sometimes, but come on, guys. Why didn't anybody do anything? Just the diffused responsibility effect? Because they're all assholes. And most of them are super high. That's true. But Scott's just an asshole here. In fairness, Styles also could have pulled him out of there. Exhibit A, abomination. Yeah, Styles definitely could have done it. Yeah, well, he hates Matt, so... He knows something's up with Matt. Instinct! And, you know, proof that he doesn't hate Derek. (laughs) Yeah. But Scott did in that moment too, though. I mean, not hate Matt, but know that there's something up with Matt. Because they were both making the connection as they watched. It's just surprising because Scott is so adamant about not killing anyone, even when they are guilty of something. You're trying to tell me Scott made that connection? That Matt is the Kinema master based on his inability to swim. I think that's what they were trying to say with that scene, yeah. I have a hard time believing he put that together. Do you remember how long it took him to realize the condiment him and Allison were going to have sex? <laughs> that was adorable. I love when he got to that point in the, in like the driveway. And you could just see the moment that he's like, wait, condom means penis. And sex. You could see that one synapse firing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, let me get a pen and paper and add this together. (laughs) Poor baby. So I actually really like Jackson being the one to pull Matt out. He's like, don't worry, I will save you, my master friend. (laughs) (laughs) Master friend. The police break up the party, sending many of the partygoers out onto the street, including Scott. There he catches a glimpse of Matt with the canima crouched and ready at his feet. Does no one else notice this? Hey, this is my pet canima. Sick'em boy. But Matt and the canima disappear right before Scott's eyes. Does the canima whip him away? Can it do that? Was there teleportation involved? I thought maybe Scott was hallucinating that bit because he had just figured it out. Like if the high is still wearing off from the wolf's bane and he's hallucinating, then maybe he's seeing this because he's just made that connection. And that would also explain how no one else seems to notice Matt and the Canima standing in the middle of the street there. An interesting thought. It is. Again, all of those people are super high. So they're probably all running around giant robots and stuff like that too, so... They're like, oh, lizard monster, of course. I love the guy that they showed, like, sort of, like, rubbing his nose on some leaves in a tree. I don't know what that guy was hallucinating, but it gave me a giggle. He imagined puffy puppy, like puppies. Just rubbing his face. He he was rubbing his face on all the the puppies that Styles brought in that giant box. They wouldn't let through, (laughs) they wouldn't go through Lydia's front door. Well, as someone who worked on the show, I know you didn't write for the season, but... Do you think it was a Scott's hallucination or do you think we were supposed to take that as Matt I think that was there? he's actually standing there. I, how I, do I, they disappear? Like because they actually because it, disappear. Is, they they do, but this is just the thing that happens in movies and TV shows where there's something, someone cool and mysterious or frightening, and someone crosses and they're just gone. It's just visual language for mystery and danger. When in reality, that's not really what's happening. It's just the filmmakers being like, ooh, look at this. You know, <laughs> that's a technical term. It's like, you know, when you get ooh. the script, you write. And then, ooh. you know, Matt stands there and go, ooh, look at this in the description. And, 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 and the, Tim, who directed it, knew what, knew what that meant. So it's, it's, yeah, I think he was literally seeing him there. Like that was actually there happening. No one else noticed because everyone else is high as f- I want to know if one of those drag queens, for example, was like, I'm going to stay sober, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just not like feeling the the drinks. And so there's like one drag queen who's like, I'm sorry, is no one else seeing this? 
I, can we take a poll? Is anyone else seeing this? It's like, they just have that shot of Matt and the Canima and it just pans over and there's this drag queen. They're like, the f <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I don't, there's, there's been, there's been too much E at this party. I gotta go. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen more from the drag queens. I feel like they just saw that was like a high school party and they're like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah. That probably did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Can't blame him there. I actually really love the shot, though, of Matt standing there with the Canima. Like, the Canima looks, like, very protective of him, and Matt is just, like, so angry. Yeah. Murder eyes. Yeah, he's got... So he's got scary face going on. It's spooky, spooky face. Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Derek comes to, still drugged and helpless, as Lydia drags him along the floor of the burned-out hail house. While he begs her to stop, Lydia puts Derek's arm in the grasp of Peter's corpse. I'm surprised she hooks Derek up to Peter's claws instead of his fangs. You're supposed to use the hip, Lydia. Yeah, everyone knows that. She then angles a series of mirrors to reflect the moonlight right at Peter's body. Good for her. The three of us could not make this work when we came across a puzzle like that in an escape room. No, yeah, we couldn't. Peter would never have been able to come back. If it <laughs> us. He's like, oh my, get two degrees to the right, your other right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lydia only needed to see the mummy once to get it right. That's my second mummy reference of the day. And your last one. You can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Peter uses Derek's energy to reanimate himself. And then immediately he got his hair back. Very impressive. There's some really excellent gifts of Derek in this scene, uh, out of context. And that's all that I'll say of that. You sure you don't want to say anymore? Uh-huh. <laughs> Having been successfully necromanced, Peter says that he heard there was a party and he invited himself. Peter, you dramatic bitch. You know he's been planning that line since, like, the day he died. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, Wolfies. That wraps up the beta section for Party Guest. And now we're about to dive into spoilers. Not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the Alpha. Looks like you found an anchor. My father. Father locked you in a freezer in the basement to punish you. You hadn't used it. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with Edie Mays, who played Victoria Argent on Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Edie, what was it like working with Jeff Davis? You know, when the show was on, and when it was on full time, there was stuff I didn't want to say, particularly regarding Jeff Davis. A lot of people accused Jeff Davis of racism, of a lot of different things. I can't even list all the things that, that I saw come across the internet. And I was outraged and have two pins from fans that say, I support Jeff Davis. And I would speak out and I spoke in, in, as close as I could get to the truth without upsetting the powers that be about Jeff. I... Now that I produce, especially instead of, oh, being an actor, oh, can I have this job, sir? Please, may I have some more. Um, <laughs> so, now, right? so now, so now as, as a producer, director of projects, to be able to say, no, you know what? It was never, ever Jeff Davis. And I said this in one of the interviews. I was always about 
about the money. It was always, a, and I'll say it, Toyota, Macy's, Viacom, MTV, go ahead, hate, hate me. Never, ever, ever cast me again. I never said those names before, and I never said them in an interview before now because I never wanted people to, you know, I, I like I skirted around it. You know, I, I remember there's one interview in particular when you, when you, when you Google me because people ask me about it all the time where I say, do the math, do the math, do the math. Well, yeah, do the math. Well, here, let me do the math for you, even though um, I do math very poorly because I have to have a phone. Um, the, um, I completely but, sympathize. So right? um, I feel seen, I think is what people say now. <laughs> so right. yeah. That, that's what the youth say, Will. Good job. Thank you. She just calls you a boomer. I am a happy Gen Xer. So no, he, he likes, he always likes to say, you guys, is this what the youths say? <laughs> we're like, I mean, we're also in our 30s, so we're in the same decade, man. Teen Wolf has some of the most passionate fans out there. Do you have any stories about encountering fans while you were on the show? So whenever whenever I looked like Victoria Argent, people would come up to me, not just the people that I made cry, and say, oh my God, you're Allison's mom. So I was always Allison's mom. I was never, oh my God, Victoria Argent. And so I was, oh my God, you're Allison's mom. And I and I say, I say, oh, yes, um, uh, thank you so much. And and but the first thing I always said was, what's your name? Because people forget to introduce themselves. I, and I say, so what's your name? They go, uh, and, and usually they just do that. <laughs> Take them a second. Uh, my name's uh, 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 Kate. Kate, it's Kate. Kate with a uh, first the first part's with a K. I think Kate. Right? Yeah, I'm, Kate's I'm, actually I'm not my real name. It's just all I could think of in the moment. So <laughs> please call me Kate for the rest of my life. Had a girl. <laughs> yes, exactly. But so and I say, I say, well, you know, so what's your name? And I say, well, it's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Edie Mays. And then I would always joke around. I'd say, well, just to get them engaged because they don't know what to do. I would say, um, uh, so who's your favorite on the show? And then, I, and then I would say, besides me, of course. And then they laugh. Every single one of them laughed. I'm like, <laughs> you were supposed to be stone cold serious when I said yeah. that. You fa- it was a test and you failed. Exactly, exactly. Which is by the only way that and. Um, as we know, Will's Spain is how werewolves die, and neither one of those things happened to me before my eyes turned yellow. So, oh, technically, should Victoria Argent be dead? Huh. Interesting thought. So, how did Teen Wolf come into your life? What was the collision of these two great forces? This is actually one of my favorite stories. I had been cast in, in one of Mr. Tyler Perry's shows. And I had recently, this is so in 2009, I shaved my head for, I was paid to shave my head for a commercial, a local cancer commercial, totally stone cold bald. You want to talk, there's some serious bald fetish out there. I am at, I can't remember if fetish is, is an appropriate word or not, but take it in, in a positive spirit because I mean it in a positive spirit. But there are a lot of people that enjoy seeing uh, females, especially shave their head. And so <laughs> it's gotten quite a few hits on YouTube. But so I shaved my head in 2009, um, right after the blind side. And, and I was working in a wig for a while that looked like what I looked like beforehand. And when I drove to set at, at Mr. Perry's set, there was a young male wearing a Yankees baseball hat standing in the parking lot with a rolled up script, but like standing sort of in the way of where I was driving. And so I figured he was a PA because that happens all the time to, to tell me where to go or to, right. to tell people, you know, so it's just a common thing. And so, so I rolled down the window. So it had zero to do with his age and absolutely everything to do with the fact that he's standing in the middle of the road. And this is how things usually get done on set is they say, go park over there. This is where you park. This is where you park. You know, sort of. yeah. So I said, 
Henderson Road Park down here, and, you know, and he said, you know, Tony Road Park, and I had not put my wig on yet, so I just had, I had this spiky red hair, and I had not been cast uh, on this Mr. Perry thing like that. I've been cast with the wig, and so before I put the wig on, I was walking in, swinging the wig, <laughs> and the 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 kid, I thought he was a kid, standing in, in the parking lot, says to me, "Hey, you," and I said, "Yeah," and he says, "Um, how can we have an audition for me for Teen Wolf?" and I said. I don't know. How come I have an audition for you for Teen Wolf? And he said, what are you doing Thursday? And I said, auditioning for you for Teen Wolf. And he said, I guess I'm calling your agent. And that's how it went down. And that was George Pierre, who was local casting for not Wendy O'Brien's office because they don't like me, oh. which bugs me a lot because I really, I really like them. And I like the stuff they cast. Like I ride motorcycles. So why would I not have anything to do with the, the Mayan stuff and, and the spinoff from there, but um, okay. And several other things that Wendy O'Brien's office cast. But George Pierre is personally, just as a human being, that's a, he's just a good dude. So he sends me, so through my agent, Chase Paris, who didn't submit me, who didn't even submit me for it. But okay, all right, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Anyways, Chase says, oh, I just got a call from, from you know, the casting, casting office and I'm, I'm sending you some sides, which are, you know, like parts of the script. So, so I read the parts of the script, and they're all for Melissa McCall. Dylan O'Brien has an incredible career, and it all started with Teen Wolf. What was it like working with him on his first acting role? He told me once that he was a, the first day he worked with me, he was afraid of me. I'm like, me? I'm, I'm a marshmallow. What are you talking about? Like, why would you be afraid? Like, uh, all I did was we had one line together. My, like, my, I think it was my first day of Teen Wolf. I opened the door and said, uh, I, you know, can I help you? I don't even know what the line was. It's like, can I help you or something? He's like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here to see Allison. Right, right. <laughs> it's like a two-second scene. I'm here to see Allison. Allison, it's for you. And I look back at him. He said, I scared the shit out of him. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. I don't know why. But I'm like, I dude, I just met you. And then, but but he and Posey, their friendship was a really, really beautiful thing to see. It wasn't even a bromance. It was just, it was just brotherly love. I mean, they were seven, 17, I think, and 18 when I met them. And it was just, I mean, uh, like I said, I got yogurt that old in my refrigerator. So it's, just, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just good to, it's just good dudes. It's just, it's just good. I still say kids, you know, even though they're like whatever how old they are, they've been through some horrible things in life. But unfortunately, it is one of the things that that's always appealed to me about Team Wolf in particular is that uh, I remember riding. Uh, we call it lunch, even if it's at midnight, you know, whatever whatever hour it is. That I got into the van and sitting next to next to Jeff. And, you know, and what do you say? You're sitting next to the show where brilliant minds, they created criminal minds, you know, and just, you are like, oh my God, it's him. And, and he looks so young too. And he's totally fit. And, you know, and it's just, he just looks like a kid, but, but just, just a genius, but very reserved, just keeps his cards close to his chest, just a reserved kind of guy. So I spoke first, imagine that. And I said, I said, I just want you to know, I think this is a funny show. I said, maybe that's the wrong thing to say, but there's there's a funny, sexy aspect to this to this show. And he you think it's funny? You do? And he was so pleased that I that that I got that that it was funny. And I think that he was afraid that people were gonna miss that. And one of the things that in that conversation he shared with me was that he wanted the experience of being homosexual or interracial or any of those uh, any of those other what we what I call. And I could be wrong, not saying I'm right, okay? Like I said, but marginalized groups of people that they're not 
accurately represented in film and television. He didn't even want it to be, here's our gay character. We're parading out our gay characters and look, and here are gay. And it just, just that it just occurred just the way it does in society. And I thought that was such a great, right? I mean, and Will, I think probably from the writer's room, you, you can back me up on that even more so that that, that was a beautiful thing, I thought. Yeah, Jeff definitely with the show, like we had gay characters, but it was just never like, that's not the story. That's not the story being told. It's like the characters are who they are and we're going to tell the story right. that we want to, but it's not like we're going to do the, the special episode of the week. <laughs> right. You right, know, right, where, right. Um, this is the one. Get ready. This where is this is this is this is our uh, yeah. Emmy bait episode right, right. where right. you know that's a, it's like no, that's not a thing. That's not what the show is about. We're gonna have straight characters, gay characters, what whatever we're gonna have. It's just those are the characters. Those move are just on. people, those yeah. are people in the universe that just exist just like yeah. they do, just in you know, in IRL. Yeah. 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 No, no, I agree. And that's it's one of the greatest things that, that I respected both about this fandom and why I said, yes, I would love to talk to you guys and or go to cons and, you know, or be online and engage with the fandom. And one of the things that I, I miss most of all is the engagement with fandom and that the show is no longer on, on the air that I miss. What was it like to be part of the Teen Wolf cast? So at that at that dinner where it was Posey and Crystal and JR and Jill and me and I sat at the end and they had a roast in front of me that and it took 14 hours to do the shoot so at the roast by the end of the 14 hours had just sort of <laughs> and they had a, a, a like a bowl of Brussels sprouts which I will never ever eat again because I was like mm. it smelled like it smelled like it's it smelled like raw assholes oh. it, was, it was it was so so bad it was so bad and Jared turns to me and he says do you even have a first name and I was like, what did you just say to me? <laughs> I was like, like, I went all, like, I went full argent on him. And so, and so, and now as an actor, I had already decided what my first name was. It, it, I didn't in the show though. Mm-mm. I was only Mrs. Argent. It was the one of the local roles. It wasn't one of the ones cast in LA. It wasn't one of the big roles. So, okay, that's fine. So when it came, there was that this, this big speech at the end of, um, I guess it was at the end of season one, and and the speech was, I'm in the closet picking out clothes for for Allison, and you know she's just seen Scott turn into a werewolf for the first time, and she's like she's flipped out and whatever, and I'm picking out clothes. I'm in this really cute black dress that Barbara bought, by the way, um, Barbara that you interviewed, that, and that and she let me keep that dress. Thanks, Barbara. Awesome. Um, I love that dress. Nice. I still have it. I wear it all the time. But so in that moment. And so there's there's Crystal and I'm I'm saying all these really nice things like really this this is part of a bigger conversation you need to have with your dad and and, and all this like it's this huge monologue and the last thing of the day and everybody in the uh, on sets like we don't want to do anymore we and now we got to do this huge monologue with this chick and this, is she gonna get it all right I said and I, and I turned it and Jeff Davis is like he's like he's got the snot run everywhere he's got a cold he's like I'm done he's, he's in his parka and it's freezing oh. and I and I said. Look, I'll do this. I promise you. In two takes, you give me a first name. He said, what first name do you want? I said, Caroline. He said, Victoria. And he told me the story of why Victoria, which I'll tell you next time we talk. And uh, uh, I can't tell you that because I don't know. It's not my story to tell. And I, so I want to be sure, you know, that I'm not telling somebody else's story. But it was somebody who didn't believe that he would ever make it. And he wanted to name that particular role after that person. Gotcha. 
<laughs> didn't make it. And I thought, I loved it. I was like, nice. Victoria, you're on, dude. You're on. And and I did, and I nailed it, and accepted that. So uh, so I've got three three biological children of my own, and there are times when when I'm being very serious with them, when I need I need to know, like, look, look me in the face and say, look, all I need to hear from you right now is yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, or I don't know, ma'am. That's it. I don't need to hear anything else. I don't need excuses. I don't need to. That that's it. So in that scene, and I don't call them scenes as much as I call them conversations. So in that conversation with with Crystal. Um, so, so there, so there, and there I am with my daughter. I'm saying there are things in this world that, that you're not ready to see and that people don't want you to see, or and it, it's, it's something like that. And yeah. I say, do you understand? And the, if I recall correctly, and, and I'd, I'd have to go back and look, but it felt like anyway, and, but I'm 99% that it said she was supposed to say yes. So mad that I was like, say it. <laughs> <laughs> And she burst into tears. And that was the take they used. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, Crystal. I'm sorry. She's like, she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, so, but, but, so, so from there, they turned Victoria Argent into this psychopath. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a really nice person. Okay, I'm a bit of a bitch, but it's, 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 I thought it was justifiable. She wasn't answering me. <laughs> you know god okay good that's my girl you know like i'm mean, sweet not like shitty oh. creepy you know there's because they cut out all the middle part and added the creepy music it's all it's all Alyssa's fault because they added the creepy music <laughs> <laughs> we're watching party guest this week what was it like when you found out victoria was going to die working on that show i spent a lot of time with crystal and i was one of the few people that they told beforehand jeff sent me a long email before before it happened i mean before um i showed up on set and before he sent the script out and i was incredibly honored by that and appreciated it when i got to set that day she wouldn't come out of her trailer when i was there and they shot my stuff first and i got to my trailer and there was a bouquet of roses there and a note from her and just how much she would miss me at three in the morning a lot of stuff comes out you know what i'm saying in the cold and you're shivering and it's raining and you see and she's asking questions about guys and you know and i'm, I'm i am from other age, you know and and we are talking about life and 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 irl things and you know not just the show shit we seldom talked about the show but uh you know occasionally you know we'd meet up and you know run lines or go to one other trailer but yeah but so she she didn't want to come out and when they said it it she didn't want to see me beforehand and before she did did what she had to do that day i thought uh i love you too sister no you know like it's just it's just interesting so it was um there's a lot of mur, 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 sometimes on set just like there is anywhere any place you work i suppose uh, right will you know i mean a lot of mur, mur, always mur, it, Right. Always. That's just that's just right. human nature. That's just right. People do that. Yes, exactly. So it's just it's just it's just one of those things that happens. But it's but all in all, being part of Teen Wolf was was phenomenal. I loved it. Um, I miss it. I, I wish the show the way it was in the first three seasons. I I, I wish that uh, it continued along that vein more than the way it turned. I, I would love to have seen that continue that way. That's just my personal preference. I loved being part of of that that show. I I seldom, if ever, at meals sat with an actor 
that ever. I almost always sat with the Teamsters or with the writers or or at a, at parties, and that's how that's how I met Will. You know, or a, a different thing is is because I'd rather talk to a writer or an editor or and talk to them. that's where the fun was for me. So I I love that, and and I miss that. So what was it that drew you to the character of Victoria? Uh, it's interesting having read for Melissa McCall and worked on on that and made it through the auditions and so when I showed up for the callback I was told by some other actors um, that were coming out that the producers were in there the director was in there like several other, and I walk in and it's just George Pierre whom I lo- again like I said I love and he's running camera and some kids sitting back there with like a notepad on, on the sofa at the back of the room I'm like I'm never gonna get this role <laughs> okay but but I'm still gonna do like I'm still going to spin the universe. I'm still going to live this thing. And so I do the thing and it's, and it turns out that kid at the back of the room was Jeff Davis. <laughs> and oh, yeah, my so gosh. it was because of, I guess, Jeff and George, um, but largely Jeff, that it turned out that, that I booked the role of Mrs. Argent. But what drew me and continues to draw me is what I, what I, what I joke about. It, and it's, it's that protective instinct. It's, and this, this has been true for me for years that young people so seldom have an advocate or are taught how to advocate for themselves that the need for me personally, me ED IRL to do that um, is, is very strong. So it's easy to make that transition to this other universe, this alternate universe where I live as Victoria and now I'm, uh, but I take it just too, just too far. Okay. You know, like, yeah, hitting somebody with a car that, that probably not the way to handle that situation. The, uh, you know, cutting your arm open just to get to talk to the mom. That's, Probably oh, I not. love that scene. Yeah. That's right. such a good scene. It's so good. I like the dedication. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't know what she's doing it for, right? right? Like, we haven't seen that she has, like, made plans to talk to Melissa. So she's just, like, in the kitchen, pulls out a knife, and starts going, and you're like, okay, that took a turn I did not anticipate. There you go. So. And what's, what's interesting is, and Prof is so great on Team Wolf, so the blade of the knife was dull. So they had put piping down the blade of the knife that had holes in it. And they'd put in the handle that you couldn't see a tube of fake blood. So I was to squeeze and then draw it across, you know, across my arm. But so the timing of it, what was so challenging. So there were times when I would squeeze and nothing would, and I, and I would draw it across my arm and, no, and there, no blood would come out. A knife cannot harm me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh at the knife in my head. Yeah. So, um, but but it was very. I thought that was very in- ingenious of them to come up with um come up with uh, a, a way to do that. Special effects, special effects guys like Eric Porn. If you said to me you can only pick one type of music to listen to for the rest of your life, I would pick EDM. I absolutely love it. But Skrillex is what started. It was it was because of those guys. Awesome. So again, I would I never wanted to hang out with with the other actors. I would always you know walk around you know base camp and I would go hang out with the special effects guys if you ever had a career in electronic dance music would your name be EDM nice <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have to go into it now yeah, yeah exactly. so <laughs> now, okay now I'm gonna go do that excuse me <laughs> 
<laughs> so Edie, Victoria has a smaller part to play in the first season of Teen Wolf, but her presence is just palpable in every Powering. single scene. Yes. yes. And what was the process like of creating a character who just exudes so much just through looks and body language? Because I feel like, yeah, we meet we meet Victoria in the pilot and she where she talks to Styles. That's really it. But then the next time we see Victoria is at this dinner. And it's just there's so much going on with looks and glances, but it's just the the body language of the character in their first season. Like when y'all leave the school in the tell after the parent teacher conferences, it's just you and Arjun walking together. But just the way y'all move is just it just screams, don't f- with this, <laughs> all of this, please. This is an entity. And, we yeah, are and, and, and it's just so I I think it's just so wonderful that you all you have to do is just see a shot of Victoria from the first season. And I feel like you, you get it. Like you, you, you got the point across immediately of this character. And what was that process like as an actor finding that in the character? Thank you for that. And I, and I, and I appreciate hearing that. It was not as difficult as it seems. I think probably to a fault when someone I love and respect is how was it as so slandered harmed maligned in any way i would for years i made it mine what and and, and that and that came very that came very natural to me i've worked now at hold on let me check my side of the street is this mine to get upset about and do i need to stand in the gap and for this person, or do I need to help them empower themselves or, or, or help them advocate for themselves? And so, so I've had to learn that and how to back off from that. But for years, because I was so accustomed to, my daughter calls it war paint. You know, when I put my black eyeliner on, <laughs> black shirt, you know, and I'm like, you know, and I, but that's what I do. I think because I'm a, a single mom of, of three, like I've said before, three children, and two of them are on the um, autism spectrum. And because their father is, their biological father is not in the picture at all. So I don't think there was a lot of cultivating that, that I had to do for that. Guys, I look back at, at season one and I'm like, oh, and, and it's funny because, and, and as Barbara, I'm sure told you guys, that, yeah, that's the season one. That it's like, I'm like, I want to wear that tapestry jacket, you know? <laughs> and, and what's funny was she, and, and a lot of season two, Barbara let me wear my own stuff. So a lot of what I wore in season two was my own stuff. So yeah, so that was kind of cool. I don't know. Did that, did that answer the question? Right. Just because born badass. I got it. No, no. Got and, it. Yeah. Just, just, just got it. it. Just a bitch anyway. Got yeah, 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 got you. Also playing off of that question a little bit, in that scene, in that episode, the tell where you and Chris are leaving the parent-teacher conference, you're wearing this wonderful fur coat. Do you think that's actually the pelt of a werewolf that you killed and then made into a jacket? Because I do. <laughs> However, it is not a werewolf, but it is definitely from a shapeshift. That's awesome. Because that, that's what Beacon tells, you know, it is. It's that crossroads. It's yeah. where all those lines, those you know, those lines come together. And uh, so I would like to have seen, seen more of that. And that's why we went there as hunters. If things had gone differently in season two, Victoria had stayed a werewolf and ultimately became an alpha. What do you think she would have been like as an alpha? Jeff and Joe came up to me and put their arms around me and, and said, how do you feel about werewolf makeup? We're going to wolf you out next season at the end of season two and i was all set to be i, I thought i was getting wolfed out I, you know how they brought chill back i was like okay yeah i get it now but yeah but that's but that was my understanding was that i was going to come back that I, that I had not 
die. And well, because and again, you can't kill a werewolf that way. My eyes turned yellow, and then we put the knife in my chest. So um, that doesn't do it for a werewolf. Yeah, I did not think that she was dead when I yeah, when we watched same. that scene airing. We were like. <laughs> Please come yeah. on. Yeah. We know yeah, better than right. that. Okay, right. yeah, she's dead. Yeah. That yeah, was us. She's dead, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That was yeah. us. <laughs> well, that was me too. Well, because because that that is what they said. And uh, and so that so that was my understanding. Um, but it's a business and that's the psych of it. There are other people that have a closer relationship with the powers of be. There are other people that are from LA. But coming back as an alpha, absolutely, because I wanted to ride a motorcycle so, 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 so badly on that show, so badly. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely thought that Victoria Archer would come back, uh, much like Chris did, uh, or much like, yeah, as, we, as we saw Chris do, would come back and, and side with them and, and right the wrongs, because that was what was so strong um, with me as Victoria Archer. Um, uh, was righting the wrongs and um, and protecting my daughter. But what Jeff Davis said and what Crystal wanted was uh, to see Allison become like uh, the next Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that's what I would have have come back to do would be to come back and relook at the code and and have her be a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that it's the bad ones like Kate, that it's the, the cannabis, you know, that it's that it's those that it's that type. Isn't it fascinating that Victoria Argent's eyes went yellow, never killed an innocent. I thought that was a really interesting choice that they made. That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, I, yeah, never I, about I that. didn't really, because I was so, yeah. like I said, distracted in that scene by being like, she's not dead, whatever. But I didn't even think about, yeah, not blue. that yeah. is interesting. Yellow. Yeah. So, yeah. So coming back and helping my daughter understand what the code means, revamping the code to that grandpa's idea of, and I love, first of all, I love Michael Hogan. You just got to know that. Okay. So, oh my God, he's just the greatest. But so the code that addresses modern standards, but also um, the Beacon Hills ley lines, and, and I would have kept it more Beacon Hills, not gone to Mexico or, you know, or any other place or any of that stuff. And then kept it there that Victoria Argent empowered Allison instead of her going away. It would have been amazing to have seen that though. Yeah, that and would have been very right, cool. Really cool. Very cool. Right? Yeah. Thank you. We actually today asked fans what they would want to see from like a Teen Wolf movie and one of the someone answered like more about the hunters and like the Argent family like history and uh yeah what they'd be doing after the events of Teen Wolf. So yep. No, Never too late. Okay. Well, good. Well, thank you. Thank that person for me. Tell them they're certainly welcome to... Um... Can we talk fanfic? Let's do it. I love it. Man, I can talk fanfic all day long. Yeah. Oh my God, so can we. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're huge uh, yeah, fanfic fans. Yeah, it's belittled and left as a sort of side note and sort of dismissed and not and not published more seriously. And I know you have to be invited to AO3 and I'm grateful for that too, by the way. You see, even just the name of it, even just saying fanfic to me, just it doesn't sound, it takes away the legitimacy of what I really think it is. Yeah, It's taking the universe to, to a whole another level, spin, continuing to spin that universe in a way that that hel- helps it grow, and, and you know, like like when you said, what would you like to see? I like to see more hunters. Well, great, let me see that fic. You know, and but you know, but even calling it a fic, I've never really figured out why it's so belittled. I I think that like sports fandom is regarded a little bit differently than like media fandom because media fandom is feminized and our culture likes to demean anything that's feminized. 
I'll have to think on that. What was your favorite episode or scene to film? I love it when people are like, I hated you and I cried when you died. And I'm like, yes, level up. <laughs> awesome. Like that, like that's so awesome. And and what's funny is I feel there's a particular character that I feel that way about. And and it's Stephen Lunsford did it. it uh Matt. He's such a creepy gross, like, ugh. But I thought that storyline, it's so close to IRL that I, so that whole thing with, with Lunsford, I was surprised that it didn't go farther than it did. I understand and I respect the Erica storyline, for example, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and who she was, man, one of the most powerful con stories came from an Erica uh, situation, but, um, you know, the Erica and um, Isaac, that I would like to, I would like to have seen that pack develop a little bit more, you know, that, that I would like to have seen and where that went. But again, powers that be say, you know, Oh well, this person isn't making decides they're not making enough money or not getting seen enough, so they're not going to be on the show anymore. I think that's the area where there's like the biggest gap in understanding between people who work on the show and people who watch the show. Because if you have no experience in the industry, you don't know anything about how the commerce affects the art. You just think that they're all very calculated, calm decisions made but by Jeff writers. Davis, because yes, exactly. Thank you. But you're you're spot on. It's still, it's not show funness, and that's where we. When I say we, I, that's when I include us, all of us here. Like for example, uh, in this chat, you know, talking about fanfic and how the story continues to live and and evolves and goes in different directions and what could and could, you know and and I, and I love seeing even that on Instagram. What if this or who who do you like this or or what if this happened? You know, and like I like that stuff and. I I love I love seeing that kind of thing, but you're exactly right. People forget the difference between it's not show friendness, show popularityness, show business. I, in fairness, you know, if you haven't ever had a glimpse at that industry, it's really hard to fathom what all external factors affect it. And I think that that's kind of, I mean, it, it sucks that there are people, creative people who bear the brunt of that misunderstanding because they can't talk trash about, like you said, the the powers that be. But I mean, right. one of the cool things about fanfic is that fanfic is when you, if like televised or streamed, whatever media mm. is art in an abusive relationship with commerce, fanfic mm. is what happens when art divorces commerce and is just single and living her best life. Mm. And so yeah. that's really cool. That's, that's what fanfic allows is you don't have any of those external factors. All the possibilities that the show would have had without those business decisions are open for you as a fanfic writer. Right. The Macy's bag had to be turned a certain way when we were on set. Um, you know, I had to pull up and we had to see the Toyota emblem properly, kind of, you know, had to be centered in the right way. Those sort of considerations are not necessarily present with fanfic. But what, what I therefore find disappointing is that fanfic is not given the, for whatever reason, uh, be it gender related, be it hippopotamus related. I, <laughs> no, that's the hippopotami. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it's the, um, it's whatever, re whatever reason there could be the fact of the matter is the legitimacy of this art for sure. But because I think it's more than, than artwork, I think it's more than um, a creative outlet. I say them, it sounds sort of demeaning, but really the spirit behind it is it's 
fanfic to me is not seen in the with the same power that that it really has and it's, it's not even given its potential it's just sort of kept yeah don't tell anybody you do what's your fanfic name uh emis <laughs> well what's yours i can't tell you that oh because it's nsfw wait well why would anybody at work be reading it and like i and like i never even got nsfw like wait then they shouldn't be reading it if it's not safe at wait wait you know so so silly stuff like that yeah i mean going back i think that it is really belittled because it's a chance for so many women especially like teen girls and stuff to really like kind of explore their sexuality and write about sex and you know i feel like people are really dismissive of that and yeah I, but i think that's what's so amazing about it is that women can do something that's really about their pleasure i mean there's so much in terms of like you know no one really criticizes guys for like liking lesbian porn but then women write slash things and it's like oh that's just stupid well and it's also just the assumption that only women are writing it when fanfic is a really queer space that's true but yeah you know i feel like um, that's also part of it is that the assumption is that everyone writing it is straight girls but there are all sorts of people who read and write fanfic of all ages genders sexualities that's one of the many things that makes fanfic so cool but yeah, like it's such the idea of just like the fangirl. That's, yeah. you know, I felt mm-hmm. like very criticized. Yeah, it does seem like there's like speaking about just fan fiction broadly, owners of IP, like say Viacom or whoever for Teen Wolf have like, or anybody have like this, there's this weird embarrassment about the passion fans have for something they've created, you know, and it's like, and I don't get it. I, I don't, I, mm. I don't understand, you know, this whole like, oh, you Oh, you like that? You love this thing that I work on? Oh, oh. I don't. You know, we're, and I'm just like, I don't get this. Like, why are you? One, why do you care? <laughs> one, two, you know, one. But two, it's just like this all comes from passion. You know, this all comes right. from hey, you know, the thing you do, I love it, so I'm dabbling in it. You know, that type of thing. And it's just like people are just like that's weird. It's like what the f- are you talking about? All of that brings me continuously back to fear. And I think that there's a level of fear if we give the people that write like this power, then we lose our own power and that makes us afraid. So I think that fear plays a large part of why it's just, it's just something I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about now. So I'm fleshing it out of my head I probably shouldn't even before I think it all the way through, but I definitely think that, that fear of what what it is and what it could be plays a big part of why fanfic is not as prolific and accepted. And I think it's particularly interesting for the powers that be Teen Wolf, the TV show, to feel that way. Because to me, I just watched Teen Wolf, the movie for the first time, like this, was that this month? I don't know. Time yeah, is running it, together for yeah. me. Oh my God. Um, but I watched it for the first time and uh. um, I mean, it's fun, you know, but it definitely has a lot of homophobic slurs. And I was just sitting there think like imagining Jeff Davis watching this and being like, guess what f-ers? in my Teen Wolf fan fiction, everyone might be gay. You don't know. Yeah. And there will be no homophobic slurs and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, and we're gonna me, have, we're gonna have creatures fist each other to turn into <laughs> exactly <laughs> like that's I feel like that's a huge part of what drew people to Teen Wolf, not the fisting necessarily, although 
you know, all, 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 all you kinks are valid kinks. You don't know. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I feel like that is kind of part of what drew people is that particularly if you were familiar with, with the movie, which I wasn't, but there's something about Teen Wolf being based on that movie that feels so much like reclaiming a power because there are no female characters hardly in the original film. Uh, almost Do you remember Booth? No. Yes, but 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 that was it. But yeah, but that was it. And it was, but and and specifically, what, what it was called was a reimagination. So reimagining it, and and I, there's something about putting it that way that I I think makes it easier to absorb the idea that okay, this sparked something. Okay, it was even to me, it was even less. Romeo and Juliet then the, the team we're discussing the MTV team it was very much more uh, Romeo Romeo and Juliet-esque I don't remember the homophobic slurs I'll have to rewatch it it's it's rough it's when when Scott like is coming out to Styles as a werewolf Styles is basically like oh god please tell me you're not and he's like no man I'm a werewolf and he's like oh thank god like that's what that scene that's what's happening in that scene yeah where Teen Wolf to to like turn that on its head it's like it's so subversive and wonderful that's what's great about fanfic to me and I don't know if you've ever read or or, or seen Pride and Prejudice but autism is you know oh so many people are diagnosed and it's you know, and it's it's for this reason, and you know, it's being overdiagnosed. And uh, look at the movie War Games. I can go back and look at it, uh, uh, '80s movie, uh, movies and novels, and all, all these things, and say autistic, 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 you know, and, and all these all these people. And that's what that's what was at play, and they were being made fun of, and it was Revenge of the Nerds, a whole movie about it. I actually did. Did you see Man of Steel, the the first Superman movie with Henry Cavill? Yep, that's his name. Did you see that one? I, I have not. It's good for like the beginning of the movie. And then it's like they remembered it was a superhero movie and they had to crush a bunch of like virtual skyscrapers and stuff. And then it becomes like really boring and stuff. But what I really liked about that movie in the beginning of it for like the first, I don't know, half hour or so is when Superman is little. And because of his enhanced senses, he experiences sort of like panic attacks from sensory overload. And his mom has to come get him from school because he's like closed himself in a closet and he's like covering his ears. And autism runs in my family. And I was sitting there watching that and I was like, oh my God, am I going to watch a movie with autistic Superman? Because this is everything I've ever wanted. (laughs) And then it's like, he grows up and the writers were like, wait, that's not the movie we're making. We're making this other movie. And then it was really boring. (laughs) But I was so excited for a hot second there. And maybe I should try to see if there's any fanfic that like plays out what the rest of the movie would have been like if it were the movie about Superman. Listen, listen, girl, listen. All right, so you and I, we'll we'll take this offline. We'll we'll write, I think think we, so, and that's why when the accountant came out, you know, and then, and then, but there can be all the negative stuff we could say about the the accountant, but the autistic aspect to that, and but but that being a so definitely not a superhero role, but or but trying to be more hero esque, but I think there needs to be some some uh, literature, some literature. Um, that addresses this wrong yes that Um, yes that that addresses this inadequacy i've railed about this multiple times because i'm super protective of my cousin who is on the spectrum and i just feel like whenever i see a lot of times when i see stories about autistic characters i'm like this is bullshit this isn't like i don't know there's so much like othering with people on the spectrum and it's like not really you guys have you like ever talked to someone on the spectrum they're people so yeah 
Well, and and it's interesting you say that. It's a, so one of the, one of the films that I'm producing um, uh, called Driving Magic. Folks that I worked with learned how to drive a carriage um, with these huge draft horses, and they'd ride around the ring. And uh, there was a, an instructor that had control of the horse, but the student had lines. If you're in a wheelchair, and it's funny because I've noticed it a lot lately because I've been using a wheelchair. That if you're in a wheelchair, people don't people don't address you. They address the person you're with. Uh, what does she want for lunch? Right here, and she's going to take that ham sandwich and shove it up your... <laughs> um, so, okay, what do I want for lunch? Uh, what I want for lunch is for you to die a thousand deaths. No. <laughs> <laughs> respect so, for so lunch, it's, man. Right, That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. How about... So, yeah, exactly. How about... Give me a BLT you? and an R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Thank you. <laughs> oh, nice. We also have a question from Melissa Ponzio. What was the greatest challenge and what felt right at home playing Mama Argent? The greatest challenge was coming up with a reason why I would use my daughter's bedroom as the place where I end my life. Wow. That was my greatest challenge. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. So as an as an actor, as Edie Mays, that's one thing. As Edie Mays living the life as Victoria Argent, there has to be a reason. Otherwise, you can see it. It looks you can see right through it and it's bad. So I, I had to come up with a reason for that. And that that was that was the greatest challenge. Would felt right at home. Would want to kick everybody's ass who messed with with anybody I love. You know, like it's like, and and not just my kids. It's just you know, I mean, and that included my you know my sister in law. Did you teach my daughter? That? Wait, wait, wait. Did you show my daughter condoms and have this conversation with my daughter without me? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's my job. Okay, okay. So like, and and, and how many people thought that Kate was Allison's mother and not me? And that's, that's, oh. yeah, that, that, mm, that's cool. a horrifying thought. It I, is that a horrifying never thought. crossed my mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that, yeah. So I got the, I, I got that a lot from a lot of folks. Oh my God. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so that was, uh, that was, that was, um, that was a problem for me. Yeah. But, but anytime somebody would, including family members, you know, such as Kate. Um, so, but anytime somebody crossed somebody I loved or a family member or somebody uh, to whom I, again, needed, needed protection. From, from whatever that's a great answer wait yeah. so what what did you come up with as victoria's reasoning if your daughter for real in any universe this universe and in the beacon hills universe in any universe was going to be involved in a relationship with somebody volatile unpredictable homicidal that's not somebody you want your kid around on any day of the week like get the fuck away from my kid i'll kill you myself right now I'll end you right now. And they'll never find a body. Don't mess with mama bear. <laughs> right, right. Rip your face right off. Hold <laughs> up. Melissa Ponzio, I thought it'd be really amazing if we could get uh, both of you and maybe Susan Walters to be like the mamas of Beacon Hills, do like a little round table. Yeah, I'd do it. That would be fun. Let's do it. That would I'd be love, fun. I mean, yes, yes. Because I love her anyway. And I'm just seeing her too. So I, yeah, I'd love, love to do it. So yeah, whatever. Whatever we can work out do it so do you have any upcoming projects you'd like to talk about i've got about 15 that i'd like to talk about like there are three feature films that are based on true stories that i produced helped produce direct right shoot but the editing i won't do i swear to god i won't ruin it by doing the <laughs> editing but i'm moving more to the producing side even though i love to act and love the spinning universe in an alternate universe more than just about more than anything else in the world awesome yeah, that sounds great sounds good to us very excited all right uh last question do you have a message for the fans 
Thank you. Thank you for being Wolfies. Thank you for making a difference for me. Thank you for making a difference for each other. Don't believe everything you hear. Believe in the love of what that show first meant and what that show means. Don't divide each other. Stay committed to each other. And stay true to Team Wolf. And stay true to the coast. <laughs> that's beautiful that's wonderful <laughs> that's wonderful well thank you so much Edie for joining us this this has been fantastic yeah, yeah. this has been so <laughs> oh much my fun God. and Love being able to we definitely want to have you back because yes. we barely even touched the surface of all of our questions <laughs> yeah, so we talked about so much awesome we have more stuff. stuff to talk about I so know. Yeah. Yeah. fantastic we're, we're, we're gonna write some fanfic together first too um, that would be awesome. again, so that would be great thank you very much for having me I, I really do appreciate you guys very much and I appreciate what you're doing um, because it's important because um, this show is important it remains important so thank you for what you're doing thank you for being a part of it. it yeah Wolfies we had a fantastic time talking with Edie but now it's time to get back to spoilers when Scott tells Derek that being a pack should mean no more secrets I just thought Oh, Scott, no. It's so mean knowing what we know about the end of this season. It is super duper for us. Because Scott changed his mind later. He just oh, didn't sure. tell anybody. His fingers were crossed mm-hmm. behind his back. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, it's just like going out of his way to make a comment like that. It's like he couldn't have said a more pointed comment for him to betray that same standard later. Yeah. Also, after Boyd explains the meaning of the Triskele, I like the sound of Triskelion better. I like that too. Thank you. So Derek says, it reminds us that we can all rise to one or fall to another. Betas can become alphas, but alphas can also fall to betas or even omegas. And I forgot he had said that in this season until we rewatched it. It foreshadows Derek losing his alpha spark in 3A. And speaking of which, I feel like the red fading from Derek's eyes in the scene where Peter is reanimating himself is a cheat, especially combined with that comment about alphas falling to betas or omegas earlier in the episode, because he doesn't lose his alpha status this season he loses it next season in an unrelated misadventure and it feels like they did that to mislead us and make us think he wouldn't be an alpha anymore after this yeah and why does saving Cora drain him of his alpha strength but not bringing peter all the way back from the dead i feel like that would have required more power yeah i agree yeah i'm not sure the i'm not sure how that logic works yeah well, thankfully, I mean, we're most way through season two at this point, and this is the first time in Teen Wolf history that the show has been inconsistent about something. Never happen again, folks. Totes. <laughs> in other foreshadowing 3A news, the scene in the railway depot with Derek trying to handle the betas reminds me of the scene next season when he keeps Boyd and Cora in the basement all night long. That scene is amazing. It is beautifully shot, and Dino's score as he's just holding on to them, and they're just ripping his body apart, and he's just enduring it oh so good so good like every single cylinder of teen wolf was firing for this amazing moment it was it was so good yeah it looked great and was also very tragic and i feel like it was kind of derek's life in a nutshell it is it is indeed derek is trying to be helpful scott is yelling at him and then derek is like i know i'll just fall on this sword and scott's like cool see you in 12 hours Here's a push. So 
that's that's how that works. I know we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, and and it has been a while since I've rewatched all this. But Lydia gets done so wrong in this season by her yeah. by by people who are supposed to be her friends, and I'm not even talking about Peter. Even if you take out that part of the story, everyone is supremely shitty to her. It's it's really rough, right? Because Peter's a villain. He's a straight up villain. We get it. You're evil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Allison is sort of the worst this season, even before Victoria dies. Which is when the real worst starts. Right, like she's already kind of the worst and then she just sinks into her worstness because of trauma. It's not even really enough to say, well, she lost someone. I know that no one died during Lydia's attack, but she still went through something horribly traumatic. It's worse than being shitty toward, let's say, Styles. Nothing that level of awful ever really happens to him in the first season. If she said, oh my God, Styles, not everything is about you, I'd be like, okay, fine. You're taking it out on him and you should be careful about that because he's the most useful person in a group besides Lydia, but sure. (laughs) But Lydia went through something so horrible and has no knowledge of what's going on. Right. She has no context for it to help her process it, which just makes it a hundred times scarier. And the thing is, they already know that it's a hundred times scarier for her not knowing anything because they saw in the first season how traumatizing it was just to see the damn thing and not have any way to process what she saw, let alone be brutalized by it. And they would know how scary and destabilizing it is to have weird shit happen before getting any information to work through it. You know, Allison felt utterly weak and angry and betrayed by the obvious deception from her family and from Scott, but then her family filled her in. Scott was freaked out by his wolfiness, but then Derek filled him in. Yet they proceed to turn around and inflict the same shit on Lydia for an entire season. Yeah, it's it's rough. It, it just sucks. And I think what really sucks is that in the end, none of it matters. At the end of the season, it's almost like sitcom rules where they hit the reset button on certain things. Plot points carry over into the next season, but not always that complicated interpersonal relationship stuff. That's so true. It seems like a lot of the characters don't really get any comeuppance for the shit they pull on each other. Besides Derek, I suppose. Scott punishes him severely at the end of the season for being a douche. But Derek and Lydia, two of my favorite characters on the show, are really the only ones who get punished majorly when they act like assholes. Jackson acts like a douche and Lydia just solves his problem for him. It's like, okay, that's done. Admittedly, he's being controlled for most of season two. So a lot of this season isn't his fault, but he acts like a huge douche through all of season one. And he isn't really held accountable even for the things he did intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. He just skipped off to London. (laughs) That's what happened. Scott and Allison are never really held accountable when they do bad things. Styles, well, Styles doesn't actually act like a dick very often. When he does act like a dick, he isn't really held accountable either, but that's because it's more like Xander brand douchery and there's something about that where men have a hard time even recognizing that it exists. So when Scott was having his hallucination I feel like we really missed an opportunity there and we could have had like a really fun scene and had I been writing on the show at that time you know I I would have pitched and like I later pitched when Scott's dad actually comes on to the show that Scott's dad accidentally knocked him down the stairs and messed up his jaw and I think that would have been perfect hallucination because we've already over two seasons we've mentioned a bad dad and you know we didn't need to see his face we could have just you know seen this tall man kind of like yanking a kid around by the arm and then he goes tumbling down some stairs it it, i think it would have been great yeah they imply that kind of relationship i feel like in on fire and we do have references to his dad not being a great guy yeah we don't get into it 
in that much depth. And I'm not really sure why, because it's worth talking about. And it would have been interesting to see that play out in Scott's head. And I I like the idea, Will, of not even seeing his face, especially if like he's sort of, because I think in that scene when Scott starts to hallucinate, right, he's at the foot of the stairs. Yeah. And the hallucination is at the top of the stairs. So I kind of like the idea that like the father figure is mm-hmm. at the top of the stairs and he's like unnaturally tall and leaning over him and it's because scott yeah. was little at the time so that's how he remembers that incident that yeah, you know he exactly. was just like you know when you're little everything seems huge yeah and everyone who's so much bigger than you they every just yeah. everything seems really big compared to you yeah. i think that would have been a lot more meaningful than what they show here especially yeah. since we literally had scott do this the full moon in season one in yeah. lunacy he literally already had this hallucination it just like i don't obviously i don't this wasn't intentional but it's just like you get interesting things with everyone else and then you get nothing with scott like it's like you just copied and pasted from another script but all writing wise like it's not so good but also just character wise i'm like don't you have trauma i mean i'm I'm glad you don't i am that's good, but I'm just Happy like, this is, but this is a story, you know, and we've already mentioned trauma twice, <laughs> a form of trauma twice. And it's just like, you could have, could have really stepped it up there and, and given something, given something interesting to Scott instead of just, oh my God, right. his greatest fear of anything in the world is just that his girlfriend's going to make out with a monster. Yeah. And it was you. Jackson first. It wasn't even like, yeah, it wasn't right. even like it was the Canima the whole time. It was Jackson first, which was yeah. the exact thing that he hallucinated in season one. Yeah. Yeah. And Scott's the main character. I just wanted it to be something more meaningful because we learned so many interesting things about other characters yeah. in this episode. Yeah. No, it's great. You get all, it's all their personal fears. It's like all these things that they are scared. Jackson is scared of being no one because he thinks his parents were no one. Styles is scared of just horribly letting his father down emotionally, that he is not capable of supporting his father emotionally and being there for him. So, uh, you know. And, and blaming himself for his mother's death, yes, which and, we also get more of later. Yes. Right. show goes on. And, and blaming himself for his mom's death. And then Allison being, you know, going back to like, I felt weak and powerless from season one. It's like, well, this is the manifestation of that. Like you right. still have this buried in your brain and it's coming out. It's really going to come out later. But, um, and then Scott's is just like, oh my God, my girlfriend's making out with someone that me. And it's like, yeah. oh, well that was kind of a- Anticlimax. <laughs> yeah, kind of a, yeah, kind of an anticlimax. Yeah. You know, it's just not It's It's, it's very, one of these things is not like the others. Yeah. And even, not even just the characters who hallucinate, we learn something really interesting about Isaac. And what's interesting about it being in this episode where the other characters are hallucinating some of their deepest fears and insecurities is that in Isaac's case, we would think the trauma around his dad would make his father his deepest fear and insecurity. Yeah. But in this context, it's actually a source of stability and comfort. And that shift in perspective is so interesting in contrast to what's happening to the other characters. And then it's like, and then there's Scott's. I, I just feel like they could have done a lot more with him and it felt a little flat especially knowing that Tyler Posey is a good actor and could pull it off I'm like he's there y'all use him give him interesting words and facial expressions to do he will do it you know I feel like a lot of times you can examine a scene because I did get to work on the show um and be like I feel like I know why this was done like I feel like there's a production reason or I feel like I can suss out 
the story reason for something but it's like in this case it's just like uh, what what were you doing books what was that and, and was David Elson already in Canada makeup and he was like if you have me go through that hours-long process and then tell me we're not filming a scene again I'm actually going to commit vengeance murder on people I so. that could honestly be a real reason but I don't think it is but that I wouldn't put it past them you know but um yeah just a missed opportunity hard. it is it's very hard folks in the beginning we never actually get that it's identified as laura hale in the script we just have teenage girl it actually has two shots of her there's the first one and then there's a second one that says the teenage girl continues her frantic silent screaming fingers clawing at her neck as if she were literally on fire oh interesting yeah i thought that was a really cool detail it didn't Uh feel like that came across well that wasn't that that's the second shot which i guess they cut the first oh. shot is in there and that's exactly how the the first shot is the same and the it's the like her freaking oh, out yeah but then they have a second shot oh, like wow. after peter starts to come out on the field and attack her and that's when you get a second shot of the teenage girl quite clawing at her throat that is interesting that's though. interesting so was it just fandom's conclusion that it was laura hale well yeah why did well, I, I think so because it's such a like distinct because who else could she be like why mm-hmm. else would it be there was that the actress who we saw in season one as just kind of the top half of the body well it wouldn't be top half i think it would have been the flashback because we technically get one shot where laura's walking into the woods and sees peter but it's only from behind isn't yeah, it? yeah don't we see her no from i behind? think you see her face for like just a second i think she oh turns. i think she looks over her shoulder for a oh moment. okay like it's just like, super I mean, it's like yeah super okay brief. got it i think i mean granted it's not in the episode but it is in the script so i kind of feel like jeff was saying that that talia died Ta- she felt her burning up like we had talked about in the on fire episode and that's how the alphanus well but she at least felt her mom die and i feel like if she was feeling her mom dying it's because the alphanus was transferring to her which is interesting because jeff said that was not i know that uh laura had to kill an alpha to become an alpha yeah and my personal response to that was i recognize that the council has made a decision but i've elected to ignore it to quote (laughs) nick fury because i just think the idea of it passing to her is better it is a better, I mean, having it be hereditary is, is interesting. It's, yeah, that makes it interesting. So the next scene is, in the script it has Peter, it says, his clawed fingers glide lovingly up her bare arm to her shoulders for Lydia. And in the yeah. episode, we actually have him gripping her face though, like pressing her face and then gripping it. Yeah. It also says, it has like the scene on the steps, she glances back, noticing odd drips of black blood seeping horizontally across the wall. And they decide not to include the black blood. That's like. interesting. Why horizontally? Because it looks weird. Because <laughs> it looks like okay. gravity's turned the wrong way or something. It's just creepy. Gravity. Oh, the next one has Allison looking through the camera that was left behind and in it, which I, w- I thought they were going to do whatever during the rewatch, but then um, because I didn't remember, but then it didn't end up happening. It has her seeing the picture of Scott with his eyes glowing. Oh yeah, because they never, did they ever yeah, come back to that? It never comes back. They don't. But it says, um, the next one is a picture of Scott, his eyes glowing. Allison sits up, alarmed. 
Then she clicks to another picture of Scott, same thing. And then it gets to the pictures of her. Oh, I would have deleted those if I were her. I would have yeah, been like, mm-hmm, delete. You don't got I kind of thought anymore, that's Matt. what Calissa yeah. was going to say, where it's like she sits up straight and it's like, delete, 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 delete. Well, then she sees like the dozens, possibly hundreds of photos of her and she starts freaking out about that. Though it never says that there's any like through her bedroom. It just says another picture of her, this one taken at school, but it doesn't say where like the first one was supposedly taken. So gotcha. it doesn't have details on like how much of a stalker he was. <laughs> right other than possibly hundreds which holy shit yeah i like in the description like it says after erica makes her period joke it says the others turn to see her flash a smirk boyd laughs Derek even cracks a smile but only for a moment oh <laughs> why did they rob us of that i remember seeing tumblr posts and probably fix in other places talking about how They felt like Derek would have really enjoyed Erica making that kind of banter because he had two sisters. That's true. Especially if they have the penchant for sarcasm that Derek and Peter have, it feels like having Erica say things like that would feel kind of like having a little sister again. Yeah. And I I, I like that. I don't know if he would have laughed at it because- he likes all of his humor to be high eyebrow. <laughs> the worst. It's a stretch, but it's a I, little, I got, I got it's... a snicker, so that's I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I don't think there's a scene of Lydia inviting Jackson in the script. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. If that is true, then that then the the script you're looking at might not have been the actual final production draft. Like there might have been a revision after that. They just have the ones Will Wallace gave me. There is the bit in Allison's room when Lydia and Allison are talking where Allison says, I noticed you didn't send out any invites. Mm -hmm. And Lydia says, well, I don't have to. Everyone already knows. So I wonder if that's part of why that bit was in there when previously her inviting Jackson specifically was not in the script. So they just kind of like covered him and everyone by making that comment where she's like it's every year everybody just knows potentially yeah on that subject it's kind of funny but they switched the brands so like in the show Lydia says this one's American rag I love it for me not for you this one's material girl it's for you and the scripture says this one's material girl I love it for me not for you this one American rag is for you so they just like swapped Hmm. the brands so for that one i wonder if it's because they knew that those were the brands they were going to highlight and so they put that in the script but then what barbara ended up actually assigning to each actress ended up being different and they wanted the brands to line up with the actual clothes they wore that makes sense yeah you know because it's a better ad if it's like this is american rag and then it's what she's actually wearing yeah i believe the dress that Allison wears to Kate's funeral is also American rag. Hmm. They also have another line though. So when we get the like ad in there and she's like, this one's material girls for you. It that has Victoria coming in and Lydia saying, Mrs. Argent, what do you think of this one? But in the script, Allison continues with talking about Jackson saying, no one's seen him since last night. And I heard his parents are getting really worried. So if you know where he is, which also doesn't make sense for if she had seen him at school and invited him. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lydia, instead of answering though, says, this is definitely your color. Although honestly, Allison, you have to start spray tanning. You're starting to look goth. And I don't even know if it's called goth anymore. It's just pale and pasty and not good damn <laughs> gosh that's lydia's like 
passive aggressive response to Allison's treatment and just trying to grill her for information about Jackson again. She's yeah. like, hmm, yeah, you think I'm going to give you this information when you haven't told me shit? You're pasty. Yeah. So it says whenever the door slowly clicks open to reveal the two drag queens that were fondly attentive to styles in the gay club. Behind them, dozens of teens and 20-somethings straight and gay alike wait patiently to get in. I like that. Nice. I like that too. That is cute. It actually says that Allison looks just got to ward him before she gets shot. Is it in the dialogue or is it in the description? Description. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's hard to, I think, get that intention across in just description, but it does like in the scene, like I, like when she calls out, it was felt like as a warning because like, you know, hunters come after werewolves all the time and she sees mm-hmm. what she believes to be a hunter. So it never felt like a, a call out to, to get help. After Isaac says the thing about how his father didn't used to, it says Derek meets his eyes with a look of understanding. I don't know if that we necessarily get understanding there. Yeah. Peter. Huh? I, I feel like, He's thinking of Peter. Oh. That Peter was terrible, but not always. Yeah. But do you feel like we get that in that scene? I didn't see understanding. I thought it was more, he just seemed shocked still, I think. Now, yeah. Maybe not as shocked, but still shocked. Because it, it is hard to wrap your head around Isaac being able to hold on to any positive feelings about his dad. Yeah. So, But maybe that's projection because that's how I felt hearing Isaac say that I don't know it says whenever Matt's in the water screaming for help Scott and Stiles stare paralyzed as Jackson calmly reaches a hand into the pool to drag him out Hmm. Hmm. interesting dripping wet Matt directs an ice cold glare on Scott a look of pure hatred and rage I feel like Stephen Ford really nailed that because that's totally what I got there oh yeah that came across yeah. Oh, this is really kind of cute. The canima inches out from behind a car on all fours. It settles beside Matt, tail snaking around his leg, like the way a child would grasp at his mother's skirt. Oh, it's so cute. What yeah. an adorable description for a yeah. murderous beast. <laughs> He's like, is that them, Papa? <laughs> is, that the, is that the mean guys who are mean to you? I don't like them either. They're mean. Were we supposed to notice that Vines of wolfsbane have grown around the mirrors that were in the hail house. Uh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. If we were supposed to, the wolfsbane collects into a hole in the floorboard. An axe lies amid splinters of wood where Lydia must have chopped out the floor. Hmm. She's been putting in work. A lot of work. She's been working out too to be able to <laughs> drag Derek across that floor. Or I know I was thinking that many miles. Although I'm sure she shoved him into a car and did it, but still. Once the moon, like, you know, bounces around, it says the purple flowers along the vine flutter in the wind as if a kind of magic had taken over the room. I was just picturing Lydia being like, oh my God, who told you to gain 20 pounds of solid muscle? And he was like, Jeff David. (laughs) (laughs) It says Derek opens his mouth to scream, eyes burning with a red glow as he roars in pain. It doesn't actually say his eyes ever like that never disappears. Interesting. Oh. It does talk about Peter's eyes, but not Derek's after that. That Maybe they just decided that in post. And they're like, we need fix it in post. Some kind of visual. Yeah. That was the big stuff. Not nearly the kind of stuff that was changed in raving, because that was like a lot of stuff. But I do think there was some interesting stuff there. Like the fact that there was a second scene with the alleged Laura Hale. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just as happens frequently, internalized fanon so deeply that I did I didn't even think about it. I was like, that's Laura Hale. I I don't think I would have put that together. That it was Laura? Yeah. Because I, I would have been like, who's that? 
why are you showing i i've been like okay clearly she must be important in some way because you're showing her to me you're going out of your way to do this but i i don't think you, you say would have what did you think when you watched it well i don't remember when i watched it the first time but when we watched it this time and she showed up y'all said laura hale like instantly oh. and i was like that makes sense so i don't remember what i felt 10 years nine years ago or whatever so yeah. yeah again you have to keep in mind how much fans have thought about every moment of this show for years years so years that concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 10, Fury. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Speaking Hills.